Good morning. We will go ahead and get started here. Thank you for joining us this morning for our family chapel. Y'all doing okay? It's good to see each and every one of you. Our speaker this morning is Brandy Forrest. She is the director uh, for the Tal Al Hammam. Did I say that right? And the Bible Land Expedition based out of the Trinity Southwest University in Albuquerque, New Mexico. So let's welcome her. Thank you, Randy. She's going to be speaking to us this morning in presentation. We're blessed to have you, Brandy. Thank you. We exalt you this morning, God. Lord, we believe that you are a God of all gods. Accept our worship this morning. We worship you in spirit and truth. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Okay. Can everybody hear me okay? Great. Um, thank you so much for having me this morning and later this evening as well. Um, my name is Brandy Forrest and I am a director of planning for the Tal El Hammam Excavation Project. Um, I move around a lot so please ignore that. <laughs> I don't like to stand up behind a podium. I like to move. Um, I have, <clears throat> I, I just took over the position as Director of Planning um, about eight months ago. I came on in their PhD program at Trinity Southwest University. Um, and I'm also a field archaeologist. I come from a, theolo and, and let me say this up front, I actually come from a theological background. Um, but archaeology has always been a passion and it's my goal as, as well as one of the goals of Trinity Southwest University to bring together theology, archaeology, and the biblical text. Um, we've done so, and I'll just get straight into the presentation, by creating what's called the dialogical approach. And uh, pardon me if I step down so that I can see as well. Um, the approach is uh, best used when there is an intentional interaction between the biblical text and what is physically discovered on the ground. So what we're doing is we're bringing them together, which as many of you I'm sure know, there's theology on one side and archaeology and science on the other. And very rarely can we bring them together. And that's one of the exciting things about Tal El Hammam um, and the excavation project going there is that we are able to bring those together. Um, in writing the history of the ancient Near East, all ancient texts must be examined for their historical authenticity and geographical markers. What we do is we take the biblical text and we look at the historical authenticity of the text. And we can show that there are geographical markers, there are historical markers, and then, then it becomes an eyewitness account. And it's, and it's exciting to be able to do that. So not only are we bringing theology, even deeper theology to light, we're bringing archaeology with it. Um, so for many, the text of the Bible and the trial of archaeology do not go together, or do they? And that's our approach. They do. So I'm going to begin with the actual passage, and it's Genesis 13, 1, 12, and it's among one of the few narrative passages um, of the, that mark out 
the exact location of the city of the plains. Now, for many theologians in modern day, Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the plain are located at the south end of the Dead Sea. And we're saying, no, it's not. And um, I can show you why, and I can show you a little about, about where that idea came from. Um, so let me read this to you, and I apologize for giving you all my back for a minute. It says, so Abraham went up from Egypt to the Negev, and Lot went with him. From the Negev he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai. Lot looked up and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered, like the garden of Yahweh, like the land of Egypt toward Zoar. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now, we have a couple of words circled, and, and those will come into play in a few minutes, um, and it's the idea of plain. So the stories, so what's great about Genesis is, for many people, Genesis and the stories of the Old Testament are more ideological. Um, they're more symbolic. And what we're able to do is look at them and say, whether the characters are real or not, whether the stories are real or not, there is authenticity to it. Um, and as I hesitate to say prove the Bible, because that's not what we're about, it does lend proof to the authenticity of the biblical text and the narratives. And um, so it's a place-to-place -place account with the actual characters contemporized to their time. So one significant fact that's frequently overlooked by many scholars, and this is, uh, this is one of the great things about the Bible and actually texts across the ancient Near East, is that ancient writers never invented fictional geographies. It was always real geographies and, and real cities, okay, uh, real places. So like I said, whether the characters or not are real, we can show that there's authenticity to the text. I happen to believe the characters are real, <laughs> and as I'm sure many of you today sitting here do. So further, whether the Genesis story was written during the Bronze Age, which is the minimalist view, or the late Iron Age, or excuse me, maximalist, or the late Iron Age minimalist view, their characters traverse a known geography, the Holy Land, the Southern Levant, the Jordan Valley, the Dead Sea. Um, uh, and excuse me, I apologize, my allergies are going since I came up yesterday, so I apologize. Um, and, and so they actually built the villages and things like that. We find those ruins today. That's the exciting part about Tal El Hammam. It's actually, and I'll get there um, at, towards the end, but there, it's actually the largest Bronze Age city in the Southern Levant. And we have one of the largest archaeological sites in the Southern Levant. So that's it. These are descriptions of living Bronze Age sites, and the stories are authentic accounts, descriptions of ruins still visible during the Iron Age, and the stories are at least geographically authentic. Um, thus, no matter how much we interpret the data, the biblical geography is a fact-based geography. It's not made up. Um, and that includes Sodom and Gomorrah, which is where I'm kind of going, that Tal el-Hammam is Sodom. We believe we have correctly identified it, correctly located it at the northern end of the Dead Sea. And I'm actually going to give you the reasoning behind that. So up until the 19th century, most of the explorers who investigated and were actually on the ground in the Holy Land, you actually, the description of Lot looking out, the, of the, the plain of Jordan, the well-watered, it actually still looks like that today. And we're going to show you pictures. <laughs> so, um, so 
excuse me, I apologize. Um, so it placed the cities of the plain at the north end of the Dead Sea. So here's, the, here's a map, and let's see. And you've got the five cities of the plain at the north end. Now, I will, as I will show you later on the southern end, they're actually down towards the, um, right now, many people think that they're down at the bottom. Um, so this is actually a 19th century biblical map. Okay, and here's, here it is kind of blown up and where we are. We're actually in this area right here in the plain of the five cities. Um, and actually, I'm going to let the... So how did they arrive at the location? They actually were on the ground. Now, there's a little bit of controversy here. And, and this is one of the things for the past uh, probably five to six years that Dr. Collins, our staff, and even myself today are, are actually fighting against is this idea of a southern site. So many people believe it's down there. Well, it actually starts with a very famous archaeologist, um, W.F. Albright. And he's kind of, he kind of seals the Sodom on the South End's fate. Um, this is him. And um, he knew that the southern Dead Sea sites had been abandoned by the end of the early Bronze Age. Um, and so shortly thereafter, so he's got 2350, um, thereafter long before the time of Abraham, which he knew to be the Bronze, Middle Bronze Age. The problem is he, he decided, well, if they'd all gone out of business before Sodom could be Sodom, and the narratives, thank you so much. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, he placed Sodom under the south end of the Dead Sea. So I'm just going to deviate for a minute and let you know why that's not possible. The Dead Sea is at its lowest level in the, it, f as for what we have documented back, you're looking at maybe 4000 BC, we can document climatological changes in the Dead Sea. Today it stands at its lowest point ever and there's nothing under the southern end of the Dead Sea. So that is one of the reasons that Dr. Collins said he had gone through the Dead Sea um, and looked at it and the southern end, and there was nothing there. There's nothing to be seen. So he's the one, um, he's the one who kind of sealed its fate. And I'll come back to that, and I'll address it in a minute. So one of the key things that Dr. Collins picked up, and, we, and, our, and our staff has, has kind of continued that work, is the idea of the term kikar um, in Hebrew, and the idea of the word plain. It's been typically translated plain in, that, um, in the passage in Genesis. And what Dr. Collins recognized is that the car and disc in the Old Testament Hebrew actually is a talon of bread or a circular disc shape. And when you put it in that context, and in the correct context, and you actually look at the area, what you'll see is the Jordan River and a disc shaped. When you stand there on the top of the tall, you look around, it's actually almost a perfect circle all the way around, guarded by mountains and wadis and everything. So, um, so the Kakar of Jordan is north of the Dead Sea because Hayarden, which um, is the term for the Jordan, never refers to anything other than the Jordan River. And Hayarden never includes any part of the Valley of Siddim or the Dead Sea. Um, and so here's an image of it. And then here's the Hayarden with the system of living water. And then the, you have the Yam Hemela, the Sea of Salt, which is the Dead Sea. Um, and, and some of these slides will just kind of reiterate over and over again 
because the Kikar of the Jordan was well watered, like the Garden of Yahweh, and like Egypt's Nile River inundations. There, the Jordan in that area, in the southern Levant, still floods today. Um, they have the most wonderful fruit that I have ever tasted. It's actually wonderful. Um, they're known for their Jordanian bananas. They're actually very small um, and very sweet. They're wonderful. Um, so here's what I'm going to show you on the map is that the, the, excuse me, the Jordan River comes down, there's the Dead Sea, we're showing you all the wadis and the tributaries to show you how well watered it is. And it's, today is still the most well watered land in all of that area. So Lot viewed the entire Jordan disc from the area east of Bethel and I. Um, the entire Kikar is in fact visible from the highlands um, <clears throat> east. And I'm going to show you that. Okay. Now, what's intriguing here, and what I, I want to point out, is that we've actually inc I've included the Babadra and Numeria, which are the ancient sites for Sodom and Gomorrah, and today is what we're fighting against. It is actually not visible in the directions that they've given in the biblical text, because there is a wall of mountains right here. And what we've shown is that he, it said it was all visible. Um, and we've given you a line kind of to demark where he's got, a lot has been laid out and to show you. Now Bethel and I have pretty much been established since, mm, you've got probably uh, 16th, 17th century, the ideas of Bethel and I have been confirmed and reaffirmed with archaeology. So we know what traveling eastward looks like. He pitched his tent towards Sodom. And once again, there's Bethel and I, east towards Sodom. It's not actually southeast. The Bible's very specific. So what, once again, what we've done is we've looked at the text. We've analyzed it in great detail. Um, okay. And what's, what's interesting, when you look at Babadra and Numeria, which I'll go through it a little bit later uh, rather quickly, um, but if you look at them, there's not enough of the other sites to constitute all five cities of the plains. Here from Tal el-Hammam, you can see Zeboim, Adma, Gomorrah, and what we believe are the five cities. So here's the area. We've got all the pathways in, Jericho. You'll see Tal el-Hammam, and here we go with the cities, the city-states, the sub-cities. And we've got Tal Blibel, Tal Musta, Tal Nimrin, Tal Kafrain, and of course, we have Tal el-Hammam. And, and I'll show you in a few minutes that it is truly the largest city-state in, um, in the southern Levant. So. So the author assumes that Sodom was the biggest city on the Eastern Jordan disk for multiple, for multiple reasons. It's always listed first. Um, it's the only city mentioned by itself um, in multiple areas. And then it, King Bera is the chief of the other kings. That implies that he was the, in the ruling power at that time. Here's Tal el-Hammam. This is the, actually the Tal itself. But then we have a lower tall that goes all the way around. You can see the banana fields and the date and the fig fields. Um, the, literally, the Dead Sea is here. This is the, the Southern Jordan Valley. Um, and Jerusalem sits up on the hills over here. Jericho is down here. So it's the largest Bronze Age city. 
and we can show you it's a thousand meters and that's just the upper tall. Now across the street and you'll see it across the highway here and I'll show you an actual picture is a dolmen field. It actually rivals some of the largest dolmen fields in the world and is currently under preservation by our excavation project as a national park for Jordan. We are preparing to actually implement that, which is very exciting. Um, the dolmens are part of the most ancient sacroscape in all of the Middle East. These dolmens, um, in fact, that's my, oh, I apologize, that's my dissertation is actually on the route that um, Jacob takes Joseph out of Egypt and that the reason he stops here is because of that dolmen field. And um, so that's very exciting and I'll actually show you a picture of a dolmen. Um, so once again, I'm, we're just simply showing you the size of it and everything that's included in it. We've got the caves, shafts, settlements, the dolmen fields, and then the urban footprint. Okay, so the story of Abraham. Now, a lot of people also place Sodom at the south end because of dating, which um, for many of you who are probably staff from the Old Testament, you know there's a high chronology, a middle chronology, and a low chronology. And those are issues as archaeologists and theologians that we have to kind of move around. Um, and we've got the story of Abraham and Lot belonging to the Middle Bronze Age. Um, and, we're, and, and so you've got Middle Bronze Age from about 2000 to about 1500 BC, and then you have the Iron Age. And we place Abraham and Lot in the Middle Bronze Age, and we say that he can't be an iron, in the Iron Age one because there's not enough historical markers from the narrative to place them there. And that's what we're looking at. Once again, that text mixing in with the archaeology on the ground. So Genesis 10 pushes back the cities of the plain well before the time of Abraham, probably to the earliest epochs of civilization. So they actually, Sodom has to be in existence before Abraham and Lot can get there. Um, and so we're actually, I'm actually going to give you the timeline. So 3000 BC to 2000 BC, you've got the early Bronze Age, 2000 to 1500 Middle Bronze Age. And we've placed Abraham and Lot in there, and then the cities of the plain between 3000 and 2000 BC. Okay, so as an archaeologist, what we now have to do is take the narrative and the text that Dr. Collins has looked at, pulled out the correct translation from, looked at the land, and then what we need it to show is that there has been occupations dating from the Early Bronze Age and the Middle Bronze Age. And if it doesn't add up, then we have to start again. Um, so what we've done, okay, so here's the time frame. Here's Tal el-Hammam. This is fabulous. We've got Early Bronze Age. We have um, Intermediate Bronze Age. We have the Middle Bronze Age. We have Iron Age II. And here is your occupational profile. And we have actually, we haven't hit bedrock in some of the areas yet to see if we have Neolithic, but we have Calcolithic all the way up. I do want to point out briefly that there is a five to seven century occupational gap. And for most of us, we know that Sodom is destroyed um, in the narrative. And we find it very interesting. We have found nothing in this gap, with the exception of something at the towards the end of the Middle Bronze Age. And let me just check my time, because I get excited and I keep going. Um, and so here, I'm going to give you the general features, and then I'm going to talk about the destruction in a few minutes. So here is the outline. This includes, this is our upper tall, 
And then this is the lower tall down here. Um, there's a monumental complex. There's a temple precinct. Um, we've got fortification walls. We have living areas. We have houses. Um, and, and we've got a rampart. We've got an early Bronze Age gate that shows that the city was actually had some type of fortification system. Um, so what we're showing you, this is the upper tall with the monumental building city wall. And as you go down, I don't know how many of you know what a tall is, but a tall looks like a pile of rubble. But to an archaeologist, what it shows is continual occupation that's been backfilled to cover the ruins so that people can use, and especially nowadays, use that land for agriculture. Or in our case, our dolmen field backs up to one of Jordan's largest military outposts. Um, and so the military have actually bulldozed through our excavation site on occasion. We've, luckily, we've we're worked with the DOA, and we've stopped that. But, um, but that's been some of the challenges, is they backfill these talls. And then they use the property for other things, like I said, agricultural, military. And so it makes it difficult for us to go back in and preserve it and excavate it. Um, so this is actually um, 2007 season. And um, we're showing you the middle Bronze Age stratum. It's at the bottom. Okay, you have the Iron Age 2 on the top. This is one of the houses down inside in some of our diggers. Um, pulling some of the artifacts and the pots out. You can actually see one of the pots down here in the ground. Okay. Um, here's some of the pots that are actually, we found them. What we do is look for pots in situ. We need to picture them in their place. That way we get an idea of maybe what they were used for, um, how they were used, were they thrown out, was this area the trash area? But it kind of gives us an idea of what their life was like. Okay, so these are some of the piriform juglets that have come out of the Middle Bronze Age, and I'm just giving you a few artifacts. So Tal al-Ahman was continuously occupied excuse me, from the Calcolithic period until its destruction in MB2. Okay, and we're actually going to show you some of the layers, and, and I'll tell you when I started, I wasn't sure I would be able to tell the difference in the dirt, to know the difference between each um, stage. And it's amazing, when you're actually on the site, the coloring from the Calcolithic period to the early bronze to the intermediate bronze is so different and so distinctive. Mud brick versus stone versus pebbles versus rock that's been quarried. And then the idea of a trench to support a foundation. Those are all components that we're looking for. So this is generally how the stratification, you've got a lot of Middle Bronze Age backfill. And that was one of the things they did to help fortify their cities. All right, now I'm going to jump to the Dolman Fields um, that's right across the street. So we actually have two excavations going, one on the tall and one on the excavation, or on the Dolman side, excuse me. Now the Dolman side, um, it's been built and reused for over 2,000 years. We have it dating back probably, it, they it kind of, it pretty much went out of use in the Middle Bronze Age, but we still do have some evidence of Romans coming in there. So we're still trying to figure those pieces out. In fact, um, our field archaeologist on that side, Kenneth Schatt, is about to release one of the largest um, uh, research projects on Dolman Fields, um, and specifically these dolmens, which will actually um, be quite useful for us, especially when exam examining the sacroscape of ancient 
middle, of the ancient Middle East. Um, so this is actually a dolmen. It has um, several megalithic stones, one on the sides, back, um, another side, and a top stone. Um, they're very precariously balanced. This is probably an, a very early, early version of what many of us know as Stonehenge. Um, it was used for ancestor worship, idol worship, and in fact, one of the artifacts, I don't have it out of this dolmen, but we have a cultic cartwheel on the back that was actually on the carts that would carry the idols, the ritual oils, the bones of the ancestors to be placed in here to worship. Okay, here's some of the pottery and the artifacts that have come out of the dolmens. And the dolmen itself is a secondary ritual burial. Like you don't actually find full bodies, it's just pieces with the pots and the oils and things like that. So the other issue is that the city of Sodom was fortified. If it's not fortified, given the description in the biblical text, once again, it, it, can't, be, it can't be Sodom. Um, this is our fortification wall for the Middle Bronze Age. This is actually Dr. Collins and his wife standing at the top. It is a very steep grade. So here we go, we have the fortification. There's an early Bronze Age two-city wall and then the Middle Bronze Age. Um, here is the reconstruction of the early Bronze Age gate that was sitting in there. This was done by uh, Dr. Lane Rittmeyer. Many of you know him. He did all the reconstructions for the Temple Mount in um, Jerusalem. Um, so archaeologically and geographically, the biggest fortified Bronze Age city on the Eastern Jordan disk would be the most likely biblical candidate for Sodom. So here's Tal el-Hammam again. Occupational um, area spreads over one square kilometer. Uh, largest Bronze Age city in the southern Levant. And it was a powerful city-state with satellite towns, villages, and hamlets. And in fact, when you stand at the top of the tall, like I said before, you can look around and see the other ruins. So here's, once again, the occupational. And we do show you a 500 to 700 year gap. So now, in the early Bronze Age three, there was a climatological change that wiped out pretty much every city. And there was a withdrawal of water, a desert, the deserts really began to rise. And every town perished except for these five cities, okay, at the end of the early Bronze Age. So, like I said, on, but however, they were unaffected by whatever happened, okay, and lived on into the Intermediate Bronze Age and the Middle Bronze Age. Now, sorry. So the next question that has to be asked is if they all perished, why didn't Sodom? And why, when you get to the late Middle Bronze Age, does it suddenly perish but not all the other cities around it? And the, or, will the five cities perish as well? Um, so that's Eastern Jordan Disc, continuously, Bronze Age civilization, um, came to an abrupt termination at the end of the Middle Bronze Age. So, and that's the question, why would the best watered area for agriculture and survival be, um, be completely destroyed and unused for a five to seven century gap? Now, here's the archeology, span okay? So you've got the Middle Bronze Age II, you've got the Iron Age II, and you have a five, uh, 500 to 700 year gap. Now. Um, Tal el-Hammam satisfies every criterion, and I will deal with the destruction in just a few minutes. So let me just back up to the southern sites, because I want to tell you why they can't be Sodom and Gomorrah very quickly. Um, so here's Babadra, Numeria. So here's the problem with Babadra. 
The walled phase was destroyed in 2350. Okay. There was a village unwalled in 2200 during the Intermediate Bronze Age. Numeria um, was founded after 2800 BC, um, and the final destruction was in 2600. Here's the problem. Abraham and Lot are between 2000 and 1500 BC. Sodom has to be in evidence uh, prior to that, but Babadra was destroyed prior to Abraham and Lot, so it can't possibly be the right place. So it carefully marks out the location, um, <clears throat> and you can't, there's such a high correlation between the text and what's on the ground currently today, as well as what was in the past, that you can't actually, it just, you can stand in Baba Dra and know that it isn't right. <laughs> Uh-oh, I apologize. Okay. So anyway, here is, once again, those sites, and we simply say it's the right place and it's the right time. So now let me get to what everybody probably wants to know about is the terms of destruction. And this is very exciting for us. So you have the 2007 season. You've got the Middle Bronze Age stratum. And now what I'm going to tell you is there is a full meter of ash and destruction. It's a thick black layer. You can't get around it. You can't miss it. Mud brick that is fired so hard, it is completely within the shape that it was built in thousands of years ago, and it's fired. It's, brick, it's fired like our bricks today. Okay, so now here, everybody wants proof of the destruction. And, and I think God in his own ways provided that. Um, being from New Mexico and Albuquerque, we know a lot about Trinity. Um, the Trinity testing site and what Trinitite or desert glass is. I don't know if you all are familiar with it, but in a nuclear disaster, a mushroom cloud forms and causes sand and things to form a glass-like green substance called Trinitite. Well, here's what's interesting. In the ash and debris layer, we have Trinitite. Now, we know it wasn't a nuclear weapon that did it <laughs> back in that time, but what's interesting is that there are very few natural occurring phenomena that can actually produce trinitite, and one of them occurs during the time period in which Sodom would have been destroyed. And it actually is a targeted kind of um, uh, situation. It's when a comet re-enters the earth, but it's when the heat and the cold exchange actually exchange places so fast that it looks like lightning and fire coming out of the sky, which is actually the description in the biblical narrative. And we have the Trinitite to show that. Um, here's another piece of Trinitite. Um, and if anyone is offended, please bear with me. We have some very... Um, tough things going on in the ash layer. We do have human bodies that, with toes bent back, legs broken, things like that that show violent death. And here's some of them. We have bone scatter and fragments. We have hyperflexed toes. Like I said, here there's a broken femur in here, or charred and broken femurs, and we have human bone scatter once again. Um, here's the terminal destruction layer. This is actually one of the areas that I personally work in. This is our sacred precinct. Um, Middle Bronze Age. Now, in closing, one of the other areas that Tal el Hammam, besides being biblical Sodom, much later in the biblical narrative, in the biblical text in the Old Testament, is that it becomes a Bel Shatim, or the place of Egyptian mourning. Um, and what's very interesting is it's, got, it's part of the story with Moses' and Joshua's and camp, a command encampment, with Jericho, the Levite encampment, with the tabernacle. 
um, and then the Israelite tribal encampments. And so, and, and what's interesting is that today when you talk to the locals, they, they work on the site with us. We have Jordanian workers, but they are always very careful. And there's a mosque on our site where they pray because to them the place is still cursed. And that's a pretty powerful statement that after four or 5,000 years, you have local villagers who are still telling that tradition orally, and it makes them it makes them nervous. But they come and they ask questions and it's a, a wonderful experience. Um, and if any of you would like to come and join us, we would love to have you. Um, and it's a wonderful way to bring what you read about the biblical text and what you learn about theology and, and bring it to life. And so um, in conclusion, what I would like to do is actually invite you to come back. I have artifacts that we've actually brought from Tal El Hamam and actually talk to you a little bit about it and give you some tangible evidence that you can see and touch. And I thank you guys so much for coming and listening to me.